Job chapter 32 is where we'll be this morning. So Job and his three friends have exhausted their arguments as we come to this chapter. Uh, Job thought his friends were coming to console him, but really they just kind of scolded him. There wasn't a lot of comfort in, in, in what they had to offer. And, uh, one, some commentator said this about Job's friends. It says, they have the bedside manner of a drill sergeant and the compassion of a serial killer. Certainly, we can relate at times when maybe even we're not very kind in how we address and deal with people, even if we're going there to help. Uh, sometimes we, we just need to be remind, reminded of that at time to time. Uh, I'm familiar with drill sergeants. I remember them <clears throat> from back when I was a youngster, and they weren't all that nice. And I was in the Air Force, and so, you know, it's not like I was in the Marine Corps or anything like that, but... Um, and I know every generation said this, but the drill sergeants of my day are not the drill sergeants of today. And I know that for a fact because I see the way that the airmen are coming through the ranks. In, in Well, I've been out for almost a year now. But um, <clears throat> but I remember my drill sergeant. They just ripped our whole bay apart, flipped over the beds, knocked over lockers. And, and a technical Sergeant Wagner, uh, he was a mean person. Uh, that's all I knew. He was just mean. So... I had Staff Sergeant Bondi was my drill instructor, and he had a family issue, and so he left on emergency leave, so they gave us um, Staff Sergeant Scott, which was a female, and so she was not allowed to be in our bunks, in, in our, our area, uh, during the evening times. They just, the female drill instructors weren't allowed in there, and so she always sent Technical Sergeant Wagner, and he was the meanest guy I've ever met. In the, to this day, he's the meanest person I ever met in the Air Force. Aside from myself, as I developed and grew. But um, listen, we need to be careful. Uh, we laugh and joke about those things. And I understand the, the military's reason for what they do there. But, uh, but the reality is we need to be careful that we don't have that attitude when we're trying to help and support other people uh, and encourage them. That's not the love of Christ that we've experienced in our life, the patience and the long-suffering. And so as we uh, look at these things and when the idea of of dealing with affliction and comforting those in affliction, uh, let's not be the drill sergeant. Uh, let's be uh, the compassionate friend that sometimes just keeps their mouth shut. Uh, but it appears in this that there has been, to some level, maybe perhaps a crowd that is gathered around this, this discourse between Job and his three friends. Uh, because in this chapter, we see that uh, Elihu shows up. And so it's possible that there were folks that were there listening because these were likely very well-respected men in their, uh, in their time. And so a lot of folks may have come to see these successful and respected leaders and what they had to say. Um, but Job's three friends are now silent. And look with me in uh, chapter 32. We'll read verses 1 through 9. We'll pray and then we'll look at a few things this morning. So so these three men ceased to answer Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. Then was kindled the wrath of Elihu, the son of Barkal, uh, the Buzite of the kindred of Ram against Job was his wrath kindled because he justified himself rather than God. Also against his three friends was his wrath kindled because they had found no answer and yet condemned Job. Now Elihu had waited till Job had spoken because uh, they were elder than he. 
When Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men, then his wrath was kindled. And Elihu, the son of Barakal, something to that nature, I would imagine, Barakal, the Buzite answered and said, I am young and ye are very old. Wherefore, I was afraid and durst not show you mine opinion. I said, days should speak and multitude of years should teach wisdom. But there is a spirit of man and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. Great men are not always wise. Boy, how is that? Uh, boy, we see that in our society. Anyway, great men are always wise, neither do the aged understand judgment. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, for this day. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the privilege and, and really the freedom to gather here today. And we just ask that you'd help us to make the use of this time. Lord, help us to set aside the distractions of the day, the distractions of the week ahead. And Lord, that we might focus on your word. And I pray that you would use your word in a special way to touch each and every heart. Lord, you know uh, there are teachers throughout this facility teaching the Word of God, and so we pray that you'd fill them with the Spirit. Lord, bless as the Word of God goes forward, and I pray for each one that's uh, the hearing ear today, Lord, that they will be attentive, and Father, that would leave this place making application of your Word, and Lord, that we would be conformed to be more like Christ through it. And now, Father, we do pray for your blessing upon your Word. We ask that you meet with us in a special way. In Jesus' name, amen. So Job's friends go silent, and we have Elihu comes on the scene, and he's burning with anger toward Job and his friends because Job had justified himself rather than God, the, word, uh, the Bible tells us there. And uh, Elihu, it would appear he's been standing there quietly listening to Job and his friends uh, for much of the time, if not all of it, uh, based on some of the discourse that he gives here in the next couple of chapters. Um, he's just angry. They, they, his friends condemn Job, but they don't correct him. They don't really provide any useful uh, applications or, or changes or call to repentance if they really think that he is in sin. But uh, he's waiting to speak because he's younger. And we could spend a lot of time there, but I won't. Um, I have three teenage sons. Well, I have a 20-year-old now, so one of them's not a teen anymore, but he's still an idiot. Um, <laughs> I, he's really not an idiot. I say that so lovingly. But sometimes these youngsters think they got life figured out. And there have been a few conversations in the DeCarmo home where they feel the need to speak rather than to listen to the aged and those that... And I think... Uh, kids just don't understand what parents have gone through. Uh, just the same as we don't, I don't understand all the things that the generation before me has gone through. And, and so we, we all have been in these circumstances. Uh, but Elihu is just burning to speak, but he's respectful. He holds his peace until an appropriate time. And we can learn from, from that. And James 1.19 tells us that we should be swift to hear and slow to speak. Uh, we don't need to rush into our opinions and our thoughts. And we'll veil them with Scripture, sometimes out of context even. Uh, intentionally, maybe, perhaps, hopefully not. Uh, but, um, but Elihu speaks angrily here, really. Uh, he, he says he thought that he was going to hear all this wisdom <laughs> and, and things, and it just wasn't there. Uh, they haven't shared a lot of wisdom. He tells them, now he's going to tell them, listen to me. Listen to what I have to offer. 
Uh, he seems to be pretty conceited. Look at verse 10 and what he says. It says, Therefore I said, hearken to me, I also will show mine opinion. Boy. And, and he proceeds in, in verses 11 and, and 13. Look at what it says there. Behold, I waited for your words. I gave ear to your reasons while she searched out what to say. Yea, I attended unto you, and behold, there was none of you that convinced Job or that answered his words. Lest ye should say, we have found out wisdom. God thrusteth him down, not man. And so uh, Elihu uh, is, is really coming disappointed in the discourse that he's witnessed here. Uh, and that the Job nor his friends had no really good answers. Uh, in other words, here's what, what Elihu's saying. Look at verse 14. Now he that, or he hath not directed his words against me, neither will I answer him with your speeches. And so what he's saying here is, Job has cut you older guys down to size, but he hasn't taken on me yet. He hasn't taken on me. Sit back and listen here. I'm going to share some things with you. Uh, I, I got some things to say. In uh, <clears throat> in verses 15 through 22, well, let's just read them. Uh, they're good nonetheless. They, are, they were amazed. They answered no more. They left off speaking when I had waited, for they spake not, but stood still and answered no more. I said, I will answer also my part. I will uh, show mine opinion, for I am full of matter. The spirit within me constraineth me. Behold, my belly is, uh, is as wine which hath no vent. It is ready to burst like new bottles. I will speak that I may be refreshed. I will open my lips and answer. Let me not, I pray you, accept any man's person, neither let me uh, give flattering titles unto men, for I know not to give flattering titles. In so doing, my maker would soon take me away. And so, uh, boy, he's just, he can't hold it in. He's about to burst. He's got a lot to share with the crowd. And uh, as I mentioned before, we need to be careful about that. Uh, we need to be slow to speak. Uh, <clears throat> and so he kind of expresses his anger and his frustration on, uh, on the discourse that he's witnessed between Job and his, and his three friends here. And uh, that brings us into chapter 33. And uh, so today we, we talk, we're talking about dealing with adversity or with affliction and, and how God uses it at times. And God will use it to get our attention. Uh, certainly that's the case. Uh, but Elihu, he now politely asks to be heard. Look at verse uh, 1 in, in 33. Wherefore, Job, I pray thee, hear my speeches and hearken to all my words. Jump down to verse, oh boy, I think, I thought it was 33. Yeah, 33. If not, hearken unto me, hold thy peace, and I shall teach thee wisdom. And uh, Verse 31, it says, Mark well, O Job, hearken unto me, hold thy peace, and I will speak. And, uh, so he is being a little more gentle, it would appear. But one of the things he does here is he uses, he uses Job's name, which none of the three other had. Uh, and, and so we can learn something from this. Uh, when we're addressing somebody, we can make it a little more personal or compassionate by addressing them by name. Elihu does it at least twice here. Uh, and like I said, it's something that none of the other friends had done. Uh, they just kind of came. And so uh, <clears throat> look at verse 3 in chapter 33. My words shall be of the uprightness of my heart, and my lips shall utter knowledge clearly. Uh, he asserts Job he's properly motivated. Uh, because he has an upright heart and will speak sincerely. Uh, when you're consoling somebody, when somebody's going through it, 
Uh, don't talk generally or theologically, but personally. Uh, be personable. Be nice. Be friendly. Be kind. Uh, we've talked about, you know, pouring on the, the theology or whatever the case may be. Uh, call people by name. Listen, this shows that you're thinking of them. You're not reciting some scripture that you have bottled up inside and, and that you have all these answers, but personalize it. Uh, make application in their lives. Uh, make it real to them. We've all been there. We've all experienced that person that's just always got the right answer. And sometimes we know that, right? So intellectually, we know what the Word of God teaches and what in a, in a certain circumstance. And recently I was talking to somebody and I was sharing some things and, and they were very basic, simple things. And I, and I looked at them and I said, I know you understand these things. And they said, well, I still need to hear it. But we were having a personal conversation and it was relating to one another. Uh, so you can use scripture in, in biblical truths, but you can do it kindly without being harsh and, and, and unkind is what I'm saying, as Job's other friends often were. Uh, not that Elihu is the, the perfect example of how to deal with things, but um, certainly he did some things a little bit different. <clears throat> Listen, it just shows that you're thinking of them more than just having an answer and being right and making it personal. Uh, Elihu reminds Job here that he's just a mere mortal as he is. He's made of clay like Job. Uh, Job can respond without fear. Uh, verse 9, it says, I am clean without tr- transgression. I am innocent, neither is there iniquity in me. Uh, excuse me, that's the wrong verse. Let me find it here. Which one is it? Hath made me in breath. All- yeah, there it is. The Spirit. Uh, verse 4, the Spirit of God hath made me, and the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. If thou canst answer me, set thy word in order before me, stand up. Behold, I am according to... Thy wish in God's stead, I also am formed out of the clay. And so uh, he's just saying, I'm just a man like you, Job, and I'm nobody special. Um, <clears throat> Elihu summarizes Job's own words uh, in verses 6 through 8, really. And then uh, the words of Job, Elihu repeats these. These are originally words of Job's. I am clean without transgression. I am innocent. Neither is there iniquity in me. And we... We looked at Job's uh, accord of, or his accounting of his life, I believe, last week. And uh, so Elihu is just kind of taking some of the things that Job has said, and he's uh, repeating those things. And uh, verses 9 through 11, look at this. It says, I am clean without transgression. I am innocent, neither is there iniquity in me. Behold, he findeth occasion against me. He counteth me for his enemy. He putteth my feet in the stocks. He marketh all my paths. And... Uh, he summarizes Job's complaint against God and that God is against him and t- treats him as his enemy. And we've talked about that over the, uh, the previous weeks. And, and so Job's own words are the premise of Elihu's speech here. Uh, so he's coming at Job with, and, and I believe Elihu was very attentive to the discussions or the discourse that was taking place prior to this. And so the argument he brings is based on a lot of the things that Job has already said in, in previous verses. Elihu does say that Job's not right in saying God is against him because God is greater than man. Uh, he asked Job why is he making accusations against God. Elihu continues by saying God speaks over and over, but people do not perceive it. Look at uh, verses 12 through 14. Behold, in this thou art not just. I will answer thee that God is greater than man. Why dost thou 
Strive against him, for he giveth not account of any of his matters. For God speaketh once, yea, twice. And look what it says here, yea, or yet man perceiveth it not. So we, we are in no position to make any accusations against God. Uh, God has spoken, and it's our, it's, it's often, it, it always, if there's a misunderstanding, it's always on our side. Uh, God has is, is not failed uh, at all. God speaks in many ways, but we're not able always to understand it, what he is saying. Uh, and there could be a very number of reasons for that. Oftentimes it's because we're hard-hearted. We're resistant to what God has to say. We don't want to hear the, the answer that God has given us. Uh, we, don't, we don't like to receive sometimes what is needed in our life, if you will. The problem is not with God. It's in our ability to hear Him or to respond or stay focused. Oftentimes, we're just focused on the wrong things. We have preconceived ideas a lot of times on how things should go. And when they don't go that way, we get all flustered up and we get frustrated and we get irritated because we think God is going to work out things in a certain manner or in a certain way. Listen, the reality is we, don't want all, we always want things to be good. But we lose faith in the Romans 8, 28 verse because we don't wait on God to allow him to do it in his time. Listen, he is working all those things for our good. We have to believe that and just trust him and stay faithful. Wait on the Lord, the word of God tells us over and over. Listen, Isaiah 55, 9, For as the heavens are higher than earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Listen, God's ways are not our ways. I don't think anybody in this room would expect God to work in somebody's life like we see in the life of Job. All right, Satan, he's all yours. Have at it. That's contrary to what we think of our God as a loving and caring. But the reality is God is no less loving or caring because he allows those things in our life because he's speaking to us oftentimes trying to get our attention. And sometimes we can go through suffering and we can go through hardship because God can use our testimony for the good of others. Others may get saved because of the things that we face. The Apostle Paul speaks of that much. These things have fallen unto me for the furtherance of the gospel. God will oftentimes do things that we don't understand. But that doesn't mean that he's not speaking and he's not working. We just need to sometimes just pay attention. And that's probably the, most, the, the number one bill that goes unpaid. Don't we chuckle? You guys are a hard crowd. We've got to pay attention, folks. Listen, God is speaking. God wants a relationship with you every day. All day. God hasn't compartmentalized the Christian life that when you're at work, it's one way there, and when you're at home, it's one way there, and, and when you come to church, you put on your fancy tie, and it's one way there. Right. We ought to be giving our attention to God 24-7, 365, because he wants to work in our life. He wants to bring us about. And so when, when trials do come, when challenges do come, as they will, we get frustrated, we get discouraged, we get upset, we get angry at God. Because we're not being attentive to what he's doing. God hasn't given up speaking to us. And, and so as we progress here, um, 
there's a reminder here in, in these verses that God uh, speaks to us in, in at least three ways, um, as, as we'll look here. Verses 15 through 18 in chapter 33, uh, it says, In a dream and a vision of the night, when deep sleep falleth upon men and slumbering upon the bed, then he opened the ears of men and sealeth <coughs> excuse me, their instruction, that he may withdraw man from his purpose and hide pride from man. He keepeth his soul from the pit and his life from perishing by the sword. And so uh, we know that God can speak through dreams. Primarily, this was done in the Old Testament. Um, a pastor actually touched on this uh, recently in, in his preaching. And so, uh, and, and if you remember what he said there, anything that is that you may dream or experience, if it contradicts the Word of God, it wasn't God. Amen. So that's the simple way to put it. Um, I can't put God in, you know, some people would call me crazy for saying that God can speak to us in dreams, but I've had dreams in my life, and I feel it was God teaching me something. And now listen, I can't explain all that to you this morning, because it sounds, uh, you know, some people might say that sounds, sounds spooky or weird or crazy, but the reality is God is sovereign, and He's in control, and there's examples in Scripture that God does use dreams. Uh, and so, uh, but again, it, it will never contradict Scripture. God's not going to lead you to do something in a dream that is against the Word and the will of God. Uh, so uh, don't get too crazy about it. And, and second, God speaks to us through pain. Look at verse 19 to 22. He is chastened also with pain upon his bed and the multitude of his bones with strong pain so that his life aborth bread and his soul dainty meat. His flesh is consumed away that it cannot be seen. And his bones that were not seen stick out. Yea, his soul draweth near unto the grave in his life to the destroyer. And so certainly God can speak to us through pain. I mean, Job's learning some things, is he not? And God has brought pain in his life. Family members are dead. There's emotional pain. There's physical pain in his life. Uh, and so uh, many of us... Uh, face challenges in our life. Some it seems like over and over, it's just there's one thing after another. What is God doing here? This is uh, so painful to experience. Uh, <clears throat> the problem of pain. C.S. Lewis wrote a book, "The Problem of Pain," and there, there's a there's a quote in there. It says this: God whispers us, or God whispers to us in our pleasures, but shouts in our pain. Oftentimes, God uses the most difficult things in life to really get a hold of us. And perhaps, in the case, the word chastisement is used here in Job 33. Sometimes we bring that pain on ourselves. We need to remember that God can speak in a number of ways. God doesn't necessarily, He doesn't cause our pain, but He does use it. He doesn't really waste, God doesn't waste anything. It's been said. And so certainly God can use pain to draw you to himself and, and to work in your life. James writes, uh, the test of our faith produces patience. And then in, in James 1.4, he goes on to say this, but let patience have a perfect work, that you may perfect and entire, wanting nothing. So what does that mean? We don't want to go through these things. We, we need to be patient through them. We don't want to. But God uses our pain to conform us to Christ, to make us more like Him, but, but to make us spiritually mature and to equip us to live for Him. 
that we can be perfect and entire, wanting or lacking nothing. And so what I would say to you this morning, that without pain in our lives, without difficulty, without affliction, without challenge in our lives, we will never get to that state where that we are perfect and entire, wanting nothing. It's necessary. And so what are we to do? Rejoice in it, glory in it, knowing that our God is working through that. Not because it feels good, not because we enjoy that, but we can trust our God that He's working things out uh, to make us perfect and entire. And then Elihu says God speaks through a messenger. I believe it's 23 and 24 here. It says, If there be a messenger with him, an interpreter, one among a thousand, to show unto man his uprightness, then he is gracious unto him and saith, Deliver him from going down. And so certainly God uses messengers. Uh, hopefully they're more friendly messengers than Job's friends. They weren't all that friendly, I guess. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, God speaks through a messenger. Uh, to tell a person what is right or to vouch for their uprightness. And the messenger here, it, it can refer to either uh, may, perhaps a heavenly being. We, we see examples of that in, in Scripture or in this instance, a human being. Uh, in this context, it seems Elihu is referring to himself as God's messenger uh, rather than speaking to Job harshly as uh, the other three friends did. He will be gracious and, uh, to him and deliver him from the pit because he has found a ransom. Uh, is the verbiage here in, in these verses. Uh, the ransom probably refers to the sixth per- person's repentance, perhaps, or um, the idea there, I think, is therefore if Job repents, uh, what does Elihu say will be the result? In verse 25, it says, His flesh shall be fresher than a child. He shall return to the days of his youth. And so uh, certainly God does use messengers. He uses people in our lives to, uh, to work and, and to speak to us. Uh, God speaks to us in many ways to get our attention. Uh, but when other options fail sometimes to get our attention, He chooses to speak through suffering. Uh, he, he brings suffering because perhaps we haven't been as attentive. We haven't been paying that bill like we ought to. And so God has to do something that we would consider drastic to get our attention. He's been trying to speak to us, but... We haven't been listening. So, Lord, help us. Elihu closes this section of his speech by telling Job to speak up if he has anything to say. Uh, Look at verses 32 and and 33, I believe it is. Let's start in verse 31. It says, Mark well, O Job, hearken unto me, hold thy peace, and I will speak. If thou hast anything to say, answer me, speak, for I desire to justify thee. If not, hearken unto me, hold thy peace, and I shall teach thee wisdom. Boy, if not, just keep your mouth shut and I'll teach you some things. Uh, teach you wisdom. Uh, <clears throat> he, Job has nothing to say at this point, and so Elihu continues in chapter 34. So, uh, boy, have you ever had that person that just wouldn't be quiet? <laughs> you know, sometimes the, they're, they're, what do we call it, beating the dead horse? It's like, goodness, can I get a break? Uh, but here we go, Elihu is going to continue. Uh, and, we, and so sometimes God in our suffering teaches us or reminds us about his sovereignty. 
and Elihu speaks much of God's sovereignty. Look at verse, well, let's read 34, 1 through 5. Furthermore, Elihu answered and said, Hear my words, O ye wise men, and give ear unto me, ye that have knowledge, for the ear trieth words as the mouth, excuse me, tasteth meat. Let us choose uh, to us judgment, and let us know among ourselves what is good. In verse 25, for Job hath said, I am righteous, and God hath taken away my judgment. And uh, boy, Elihu reminds Job's three friends uh, that Job claims to be innocent of sin. In verse uh, 8, we jump down there, it says, which goeth in the company with the workers of iniquity and walketh with wicked men. And so he falsely accuses Job of seeking com- or keeping company with evildoers and wicked men. And we know that wasn't the case. Job achieved evil. And of Job's own testimony in previous chapters, uh, we know that that wasn't the case. And, and so he, he falsely accuses him, but he also truthfully says that Job has said there is nothing to gain by trying to please God. If you remember back, Job 21, verse 15, it says, What is the Almighty that, he should ser- that we should serve Him, and what profit should we have if we pray unto Him? That's Job speaking in chapter 21, verse 15. Uh, listen, Elihu believes God is justly allowing Job to suffer because the Almighty can do no wrong. And he, he sums that up really in, in chapter 34, verses 1 through 18, uh, that God is sovereign and, and God can do those things. Verse 19 in Job 34, uh, Elihu talking about Job's justice says, How much less to him that accepteth not the persons of princes, nor regardeth the rich more than the poor, for they are the work of his hands. Listen, God is not partial because He's not influenced by position, power, possessions. God's not influenced by those things. All people are the work of His hands, so they are treated the same regardless of their status. Those status symbols are often for us. Uh, and so, verses thirty or chapter 34, 21 through 30, it appears that Elihu is responding to Job's complaint in chapter 24 that God is oblivious to the wicked people and allows them to prosper. And he reminds Job and and Job's friends that that's not the case, that God is in control. Uh, God is sovereign. He he does uh, take these things seriously, and he he deals with them. And then chapter 35, Elihu, he he begins the speech or continues his speech by defending God's sovereignty. Uh, In in chapter 35, um, Elihu spake moreover and said, Thinkest thou this to be right, that thou sayest my righteousness is more than God's? For thou didst, what advantage will it be unto thee, and what profit shall I have if uh, I be cleansed from my sin? I will answer thee and thy companions with thee. Look unto the heavens and see, and behold the clouds which are higher than thou. If thou sinnest, what doest thou against him? For if thy transgressions be multiplied, what doest thou unto him? If thou be righteous, what givest thou him, or what receiveth he of thine hand? Thy wickedness may hurt a man as thou art, and the righteous may profit the Son of Man. By reason of the multitude of oppression, they make the oppressed to cry, and they cry, excuse me, out by reason of the arm of the mighty. But none saith, Where is God, my Maker, who giveth songs in the night, who teacheth us more than the beasts of the earth, and maketh us wiser? And so as we see as he goes down through here, uh, he talks about God's sovereignty and His control, who teaches us more than the base of the field and maketh us wiser than the fowls of heaven. There they uh, cry, but none giveth answer because of the pride of the evil men. Surely God will not hear vanity, neither will the Almighty regard it. Although thou sayest thou uh, shalt not see Him, yet judgment is before Him. Therefore trust thou in Him. 
But now, because it is not so, he hath visited in his anger, yet he knoweth it not in great extremity. Therefore doth Job open his mouth in vain. He multiplieth words without knowledge. And i, I got to draw this to a close here this morning, but um, <clears throat> Psalm 115.3 says this, But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. God is in control. And so oftentimes in our suffering and those things, God just reminds us of His sovereignty and His, uh, that He is the Almighty. God doesn't respond to those that are complaining or bargaining. We read chapter 35 there. And, but what does God respond to? Psalm 27, 14, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and He shall strengthen thy heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. God responds to you waiting in your patience. Uh, we need to allow God to do His work. He, he's sovereign. He's almighty. And so today, just remember, God uses our pain, our affliction, our suffering at times to get our attention to teach, of, teach us of His sovereignty, that He is in control. Listen, we must wait on the Lord. We want the affliction to be over. We, the reality is we don't even want to be in it. But we just want to be delivered from whatever the affliction is. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. God will deliver you. God will bring you through it. And, and I came across this commentary about that, and it says, The promise is not indeed that they shall be delivered from all the trouble on earth, but the idea is that God is able to rescue them from the trouble here, that he often does it in answer to prayer, and that there will be, in the case of every righteous person, a sure and complete deliverance from all trouble hereafter. Listen, it might not even be here on this earth. But you have to look at Psalm 34, 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord deliver them all. With the understanding of chapter six or verse 6 in the same chapter, the poor, which could mean the afflicted and those that are humbled. But the poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of his troubles. So God often responds as we pray and cry out to Him. But He won't necessarily do it in our timing. We might be delivered in the life to come.